show on the incandescent radio network, the voice of entrepreneurs. In each episode of the show, we shine a spotlight on the women who are making strides and changing lives. Very fun. Hello, friends, and welcome to today's show on the truly amazing women radio show and network. I created this project back in 2008 to shine a light on women who are making strides and changing lives. I'm Hope Katz Gibbs, founder of Incandescent Yarn Publishing, proud to produce this show and many more on Incandescent Radio and our YouTube channel, incandescent.tv. So in the last 12 years, we have been honored to interview amazing women. And today's guest is no exception, movie maker Martine Malou, who I first met when my friend and client filmmaker Tracy Schott introduced us on Tracy's show, Voices for Change. So today you're going to learn about Martine's amazing journey from France to Los Angeles, where she began working for a billion dollar fashion house that you may have heard of, BCBG. And then a few days, about decades later, she tried, decided to change up her life and create her own film production company, Cali Pictures. In fact, a couple of her critically acclaimed films include Breaking and Exiting and Beyond the Sky. So you're going to learn all about that and more. And now my collaborator, Cynthia DeLorenzi, dear friend and creator of Success in the City, is going to start off our Q&A with Martine. Take it away, Cynthia. Uh, I'm delighted to be here and thank you for inviting me to participate in this interview with Martine and this so that everyone knows this is the second interview done through your production company Hope um, with Tracy Schott who interviewed her and I encourage you to go look up that interview too because a lot of history about where she's gone and after watching that what really I wanted to talk to Martine about is magic and her magic because she's lived a life of magic you know when you have those friends and you go, how did they do that? How did they break out of convention? Because we always start life and we think we have this conventional expectation. And I know a lot of women that we now hope have really broken through that, but it's to reach to all these women, these young women, these girls who say, why can't I do that? I want to do that. I want to be there. I want to work in fashion. Wow, that looks amazing. I want to work in the movies. So Martine just did both of those, you know, at the top. You know, so it's, it's really, so I really want to understand how you live this life of magic and then how you make this journey into your magical life. So I want to go back a little bit. And I know that when you hear Martine speak, she has a little bit of an accent. Mine's like Texas draw. Hers is like, you know, very sophisticated in French. So, but let's go back just briefly and begin your life. You went to a French American school growing up. You speak, I think three or four languages, um, I lived in Japan, and when I went to a convent for a year in Japan, we were required to speak Japanese, French, Latin, and English. But you speak French, English, uh, Italian, and um, Israeli. Hebrew, yeah. Hebrew, Hebrew, yes, Hebrew. So that's yeah, that's pretty good. I did, I'm not as good as you. I'm not fluent in any of those, barely English. But let's how did you begin? What was your first job? What was your first job when you began working, Martina? I kind of want to start there. So first, I want to thank you for having me. This is great. Um, it's very new to me to be, uh, you know, on the forefront like that. I'm not used to it. And I, um, I, I don't like, you know, the Zoom is very intimate, which is great because I don't like to speak in public. I have a fear of 
speaking in public. And um, I like that it's it's through Zoom and we are just having a conversation and we just have thousands of people watching. Uh, <laughs> but no Tom, my first my first first job, like real job, like paid job, or do you want to see like my first experience in a job environment? Where do you want to start? My first experience in the job environment was. <laughs> I was 16. I wanted to make money. And that's the legal age to work in France. And um, my dad was, um, is an insurance broker at the time. He was an insurance broker. And I, I worked in, a, in the mail room of his insurance company, basically, which is a huge company. And I was putting stamps. And I was like, I think that told me that's not the life I want. Like, that's not what I want to do with, with my life. I can't be... Um, doing that I have you know bigger aspiration um, my second real job was when I, mo I moved to Israel when I was 19 um, just out of boredom or whatever and I was like yeah I love Israel I'm gonna go and I had fun in vacation it's gonna be the same I'm gonna go there and I, I moved uh, and I found a job in Jerusalem in a restaurant and I was a waitress in a restaurant um, from like 12 p.m. to 12 a.m. Um, kind of every day. And within three or four months, I was kind of managing the restaurant. The boss was like, you fire the employees, you hire the employees, you do whatever. Um, that's where I really learned Hebrew. And after about a year there, I was like, I can't live in Israel. And then <laughs> moved back to France. Um, in the meantime, met a guy, of course. There's always a guy in the story and uh, moved to France and then didn't know what to do. And my dad had a friend, family friend who had a, a company um, that was making clothes. And he said, he has a job. Do you want to go check it out? And I went and then I was hired um, at that job. I was lazy. I didn't want to look for a job. I didn't want to have to write the cover letters and the resumes and all that. I was like, ah, I don't know. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was, and I was like, okay, I'll do that. And I started uh, working there. And after six months, I almost got fired because <laughs> you make color cards for customers and I could not cut the fabrics straight. And I thought, you know, I had done studies. I have a BA in business administration. What am I doing cutting color cards? You know, it's like, and the boss took me into his office and said, because it's you, I'll give you a second chance, but you need to, you know, I said, yes, but give me a job that's interesting. You know, I'm not here. I don't even know how to cut. I can't even cut straight. Why? And he put me as a production assistant and then I started like thriving. So that's where, you know, started traveling, started like having fun and, and in, in the job. And that's how I started in the, fa in the fashion industry in France. It's really interesting that you, you took leaps of faith, but you also spoke up. And, and I want people to listen to the things that you did, especially as you're talking to younger people who are trying to get in they go, yeah, I like working in the, in the industry, but I can't cut straight. So if you want me, you got to give me a job that I'm good at. And I think that that was awesome. Instead of saying, okay, I'll try harder, which ultimately would have meant you've been fired. But instead you began this new journey. Did you like that new job you got moved into? Yeah. Except that after a few months, um, I, you know, I was doing most of the work of my boss, which was not doing much. 
and <laughs> I was ill with. And so they gave me after like about a year and a half, they gave me, so we were divided in countries. So they gave me my own country to take care of for production. So, uh, and it wasn't the worst, it was Mauritius Islands. And I got to go on my first business trip to the Mauritius Islands to work with the vendors there in the production, we're making uh, men's shirts there. And that was the amazing trip because, you know, we had an agent there and I, I always uh, work and have fun. I don't like, I try to mix both. And it was really like, you know, being on a beautiful island, working every morning at 7 a.m. and then going to meetings and then, you know, trying to enjoy as much as I can uh, as I'm working. So with BCBG, what, with Max, the owner, we used to say, you know, we work hard and we play hard uh, all the time. So yeah, then I thrived and then we closed the Mauritius Islands. They gave me India. I went to India, I really didn't like it. And then I came back and I said, give me another country because I didn't like it. And someone else came and took India and I took Indonesia and I loved Indonesia. And I went for 10 years, four or five times a year to Indonesia um, and I loved it. Loved it until I moved to the States. Yeah, and one of the things I know you've had an aspiration to come to the United States. During any of those trips, did you have trips to the United States or was it just a dream I, you had? Um, so I've, just for my background, I've, uh, my mom is a movie critic. And my mom uh, always went to the Deauville Inter uh, American Film Festival. And the Deauville is a town two hours outside of Paris in Normandy. And they have this American Film Festival that's been there for over, I think, 45 years now. And my mom used to go there to report, to, to talk on the radio. And I was always going there with her. So I think there I found my love, not only for entertainment, but for America. So since I was 10, 11, I spoke English. My only focus was to go to the U.S. one day. That was like my my trajectory, I will be there one day. And I had a couple of opportunities that I didn't really jump on, uh, but I've always gone on vacation to the US, a lot in New York. I went, as you said, studied at the American University in Paris, did a year abroad in, at SUNY Binghamton, upstate New York, um, where I came back from, to France after that, which I should have stayed. At the time, and uh, so my love for the states has always been there. I've always felt um, that God made a mistake, and we had a, I had a girlfriend who was American, and she felt they switched our souls. She wanted to be French, <laughs> and I wanted to be American. So we were always saying they put us in different, like they put our souls in the wrong body, because she wanted what I had, and I wanted what she had. It's, it's really interesting, but maybe those are the underlying themes that drove you to do what you did and to take the leaps that you've taken in your life. So tell us how you ended up coming to work for BCBG. How did that happen? I was, so I was at uh, the company in France for about eight, nine years. Um, I had just divorced from my Israeli uh, husband. I had a three-year-old son um, and I was like, you know, I've missed the opportunity to move to the U.S. a couple of times. Uh, now I have to figure out a way to get there. And, you know, visa and all this is very complicated. And my cousin was actually married with Max Azria's niece in France. 
because his family lives in France also. And uh, there was a bar mitzvah and I decided, my aunt told me, you should go, you're invited to the bar mitzvah. When you go, Max Azria should be there. Talk to him about you and the US. So I go to the bar mitzvah, remember, <laughs> Monday night. I get there, I'm super excited because it's the beginning of my new life, but Max Azria is not there. Of course he's traveling, of course he's not there. And I don't know what to do. And my aunt tells me, you should go talk to her. his brother, he's there, and then get his number. Because my, my cousin didn't want to give me, he didn't want to recommend me, he didn't know how good I was or not good I was, he didn't want to like, get into that. You know, sometimes it's hard to get recommendation from people, especially from family. So I went to the brother and I said, hi, my name is Martine, I'm Patrick's uh, cousin. I work in the fashion industry. I want to move to the US. Can you give me Max's number? And he gave it to me. And he said, yes, no problem, but well, give it to me. And then it took me like three or four days to work up the nerve to call him. But I'll always remember. So the Thursday after the bar mitzvah, which was the Monday night, I uh, called Max Adrian and they put me through him right away. So I feel like he's brother must have talked to him about it, said, hey, I gave the number to someone, blah, blah, blah. And Max said, I explained to him, I work in the fashion industry for the past, you know, eight, nine years. I want to move to the US. I heard you have a company there uh, and stores. Can I, you know, could we talk about me? And he goes, when can you come? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I don't know. Um, he said, can you come tomorrow? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm in Paris. Uh, give me a couple of days, I can come this weekend. Because I knew that the next day I was on vacation for two weeks and I had planned to actually go to the south of France with my then boyfriend. Um, and he said, okay, great, come come, and uh, we'll talk. And then he angled and I'm like, where am I going? I don't know, I, I know like nothing. So I call back and I get his assistant. I said, hey, I just talked to Max. He told me to come, but where am I going? What am I doing? So she started giving me address. She said, book a flight, get a car at the airport. I'm booking you a hotel. Call us when you're here. And I'm like, oh my God, that's crazy. Um, talk to my boyfriend. I said, listen, we're gonna just buy two tickets and go to the US. Oh no, what happened also is that he said, how long can you stay? And I said, I don't know, a couple of days for the interview. And he's like, no, just book for two weeks. And then I said, yeah, but I can't afford being two weeks in, in LA. And he said, don't worry, I'll pay for it. I'm like, okay, I'm going to two weeks on vacation in LA instead of going, you know, wherever in the south of France. So told my boyfriend, told my, call my family and say, hey, I'm not going to the south of France. I'm going to Los Angeles for two weeks, <laughs> like crazy. My son was with his dad in Israel. So that was cool. He was like four at the time. And I took a plane to Los Angeles, booked a car, and arrived here, called, went to the hotel. They told me I had a room booked there in West Hollywood and called them. And uh, I think I arrived on Sunday, Monday morning. Max told me, I'll come pick you up Monday morning at nine. He picked me up at 9.30, I was hired and my life changed. And it was crazy because I didn't know what I was doing. I uh, didn't even know what my position was really. I wasn't sure how much I was making. All I knew was I'm moving to the United States. That was like, that's it. Hey. I had to call everybody and, and say, hey, I'm not coming back. 
I think that is such an incredible story of how you did it. You know, it is like, it was like your instincts and everything said this, do it, just do it, you know, and take the leap. And, and there were a million barriers I could see of why you shouldn't do it, but it's like, but the reason why you should do it, but you, know, was so. just, you know, it was for me in my mind was it's my last chance to move here. Right. It's my last chance. He needed me. The, the EVP at the time was having a baby was going to have a baby the week after he wanted someone immediately. He wanted me to, to start the same week. So I, I, we met on a Monday morning. Um, he gave me money. Like he, I said, I have to find an apartment. And I said, here's $20,000. Go grab furniture, money, uh, food, find an apartment. And it was just like, what, what's going on? What's happening? Called my company. I said, I'm not coming back. He said, you're starting next Monday. And I, I didn't even know what I was doing the next Monday when I had found the apartment and done all this. The next Monday I arrive at the office, I don't even know what I'm doing. And I go to the girl who's supposed to be the EVP and who's supposed to train me, but she's giving birth. She was supposed to be here, she was early. So Max said, go to your office. I'm like, what office? I don't even know what I'm doing. So I go to my office, I see 20 people and I'm the director of a department. Now I've never managed people before, right? So I talk to them and they explain to me what we're doing. They tell me that it's a good position, that I'm a director, which is great. I'm like, okay, because I don't know hierarchy and whatever. And they start explaining to me what they do in that department. And then I learned from there and I've been, I've, I was managing that department until I left. Because even though I grew through the ranks, I always kept that department under me directly because we were, we had been working so long together that we knew each other a hundred percent. So there was like no breakdown in communication or anything like that. Incredible, right? Like you're talking about the magical moment. Oh my God, that was a magical, that was incredible. It was all my dreams come true. There's a saying, it's a Chinese saying, which they attribute to Confucius, which is luck is the wisdom to take advantage of an opportunity when it presents itself. And that is exactly what your luck was. You had every reason to say no. There would have been 1 million reasons. I can't move yet. I haven't left my job yet. I don't have a place to live. This is crazy. But you said yes to the crazy and you did it. So was it what you expected? Was it more challenging than you expected? Was it more scary or was it more rewarding than what you expected? I think I could never have the career I had there. More rewarding, definitely, than I would have had in France. Never. Like, I mean, I... It was incredible. It was an incredible ride. Incredible. 17 years, uh, became very, very close to Max, uh, who's tomorrow, it's the date of his uh, death. Um, he passed away two years ago. And it's, it was just an incredible ride. He became a second dad to me. Like my dad would come and visit and he would say, Max, you keep Martin. You know, we were both Jewish. I was doing, I didn't have any family. So we were doing all the holidays together. I was completely with his family. Um, and it was incredible. We had incredible moments. We, we lived an incredible life for 17 years. What was, what was the best and what was the greatest challenges you faced? I don't want to say the worst, but what was the best of that time? And what was the most challenging? The best was, I mean, <laughs> was just, you know, the, the position I found myself in, right? So the last 10 years, I was the EVP of the company which was a huge position. It's a billion dollar company. 
Um, and I was traveling all the time and I loved it. Um, and I was, you know, people were listening to me, people, you know, people valued my opinion. It was so rewarding. It was just amazing. And I loved working with my teams. I think I'm a, I'm a good leader and I don't say this to praise myself, but I, I really think that um, I had a whole bunch of teams be, uh, under me and I, w I was, I'm not a specialist in anything, but I knew how to drive them, right? And to get the best out of them and to listen to them, which is very important when you're in a position like that. Um, the challenge was um, the same, which was, <laughs> it was a lot of work. Um, I was not there a lot for my son. Uh, I was traveling all the time. At one point we were, we bought a company in France, a fashion company brand. And then we were setting up factories in Asia. And for about a year, I was doing two weeks in LA, two weeks in France, two weeks in Hong Kong, two weeks in LA, two weeks in France, two weeks in Hong Kong. Every like, you know, six weeks, I was going around the world, basically. I was buying the, the around the world ticket from Air France. And that was very challenging. So a lot of work also, it's not like it's, you know, you get to the top and you're breathing through. It's, it's always a lot of work. And learning how to manage people. Right at the beginning, I got called into HR at one point because I was like a little bit excited. And they were like, no, in America, you need to be, you know, I'm, I'm Tunisian, I'm French. I'm <laughs> and they were like, no, you need to um, speak to the people the right way, blah, blah, blah. And I learned so much from that. And now I know, you know, there's something I, I learned that I love is that it's not the way you intend to say the things, it's the way how they're received. And whatever your intention, if the person on the other side doesn't receive it well, there's a problem and then you need to adjust. And it's on your you to adjust and not on them. Because you never know who you talk to, you never know what their experience is, you never know what trigger they have, you don't know. So you always need to be very careful when you speak with people. And if it's not received the right way, you need to adjust. That is incredible advice. You really need to, to own yourself and how you come across. So I, I hope anybody listening to this inter internalize this. I think that's one of the greatest bit of advice for anybody in leadership role and working with people because we never know. And even the most innocent thing we say, and maybe comes from the right place, it can so easily come off wrong, not sitting in the other person's seat. So it's very important. It's very, very important. And because you don't, you don't know what they've lived through. You don't know anything. So it's something that I've really learned and that I've always try to apply and even you know if I was like in a conflict resolution between two people that's what I was trying to explain to them it's like there was this person didn't mean anything but this person didn't take well because you don't know where they're coming from so you need to guys adjust to each other and I think that's super important and I think one of the biggest thing that's the most the most important is communication and I think that in in everywhere whether it's your personal relationships your couple your work, your anything. Communication is the key, I think. And as long as you know and you learn how to communicate, you'll solve the issues and there won't be any issues. But I think this is like two things that I really learned that are very important, I think. That, that's, that's wonderful. So how many years were you at BCBG and then you decided to make a little bit of a shift? So you're in fashion, you're working with beautiful people, you're working with clothes. But, you know, there's other stuff I could do. Why don't I just go get in the movie industry? So easy to do. So um, I did get in the movie industry, buying a ticket and going to the movie theater. But yours is like, I think I'm going to go work in it and, and be a boss lady there. 
So tell us how you made that leap. What prompted that? How did you do that? And did you know you were going to do it? So what happened is um, it was great BCBG. You know, I had the perfect life traveling in jets and going to fashion week and having fun, but I was not really super interested in the world of fashion. I love the business part, right? So I love doing deals. I love, you know, I love organizing stuff. I love uh, managing people, but the fashion itself, it was beautiful. It was great, but I wasn't passionate about it, but I've always been passionate about entertainment since my days in Deauville and since my mom is a movie critic. And then my son became a kid actor. So I was on set sometimes with him. Uh, then now he's a writer. And so I had that always. And plus at BCBG during Fashion Week, I would meet a lot of actors um, and, you know, and used to hang out with them and everything. And it just was like, I wanted to get into that world. So I started thinking about it. And then the BCBG, there was like talks that it was going to get sold and that, you know, to a big group. So it wouldn't be the same life I've had and the same um, kind of company. So what I did is I uh, decided, I went back to school basically um, while I was at BCBG to start the process a little bit. And someone advised me to go to UCLA Extension and to learn about the movie industry because I didn't want to go in not knowing about anything because I have no idea, you know, I, I knew I knew nothing. So I went back to school while I was at BCBG. So it took me a couple of years <laughs> to go through the program, but I did a business and management uh, program in the entertainment industry. And I was doing like one course a quarter because of course you have homework, you need to be at the class and everything. And me, I'm traveling all the time. And <laughs> so it was, it was great. You know, I had a great relationship with my teachers who understood, you know, that I was not the regular student, that I was also managing a big company. And I just learned a lot. I learned, you know, about financing and making a film and, and pre-production and post-production and all this. Um, and then I finished that program and I, um, I was like, okay, what am I going to do now? And I was still at BCBG. And then I started thinking about the transition. But the problem was I was such at such a level at BCBG making a lot of money that I was like, how am I going <laughs> to go I can't go this way right I can't go straight and be the EVP of Amazon or Netflix or Sony because I don't have any experience in the industry but I can't also be a manager today so I was like this is you know how am I going to do it and I someone said why don't you just produce and I'm like that's a good idea and then I started producing so I started we stopped I started with a girlfriend with my first film which is beyond the sky and then bcbg closed i'm not closed but you know was sold max left i left and then i dedicated um my time to producing um beyond the sky and then um after that breaking and exiting so that's how a transition was i didn't I, I wasn't sure what i wanted to do in the industry i just wanted to learn about it first and then i became a producer because i wanted to learn even more and I think that, you know, what I was doing at BCBG lends itself to everything I learned to the producer job, I'm going to say. Can you share with us a little bit about what a movie or film producer does, just so we can understand and how that intersects with the movie industry, where you find that you're really enchanted, engaged, and really enjoying what you're doing? So um, the producer, there's different types of producers. 
what I do is I find projects that I think are appealing, that I like, that I think have an audience and a marketability. I kind of finish developing them with the people who created the project. I usually do not start with the creation process. I did it, we did it for uh, Beyond the Sky, but I tend to just find scripts or great projects that I, I love. And then I need to finance it. I need to package it. I need to produce it, which is make it for real. Um, and then I need to find a distributor, market it. That's, it's like from A to Z. It's from finding the project, um, the script to the finished film. So that's, that's what a producer do. So it's a lot of steps and it, could, it can be a little bit lonely. You know, I used to work with hundreds of people and now it's me and I'm in my office. So, but it's, it's, it's so much fun. It's a lot of fun because it's different projects all the time. It's different people all the time and you, you get to affect people and tell great stories. That's one of the things I, I learned about you from watching your previous uh, information about you was that you love to tell great stories and work with great people. And I think, you know, that's a great career. Tell great stories and work with great people. So I imagine when you started, how many films were you able to work on in a year when you first started? And where are you now? Oh, I was doing one. That was, I mean, my first film was Big Endeavor. It should have been my third or fourth film. It was a big project. We shot in four states. We hired 150 people. It was a bigger budget. Um, it's a sci-fi thriller. I mean, it, was, it wasn't my second film. So I didn't know what I was doing. You know, when you don't know, you just jump and whatever happens, happens. Once you know, then it, you're very cautious, right? So the second film was much smaller but really fun. And I learned, you know, from some mistakes from the first film and that I didn't buy in the second film. So then I did one film and then I kind of developed a slate. And now I have 15 projects, more or less. And I have some films, I have some TV, some docs and docuseries. Do you hire talent or do you hire people to hire your talent? And can you, probably when you started, you couldn't get people to really take your calls. But it's oh, yeah. a lot easier. Still, it's still difficult. Yeah. It's still difficult. It's still difficult. When I get through an agent, I'm like, yes, I did it. <laughs> but you know, you know, it's it's that's what is very hard, right? So I was Martin Miller, the EVP of BCBG. I would show my card anywhere. I would be like red carpet, right? I'm I mean LA, any club, any restaurant. I would just show my card. I'm Martine, the head of Kali Pictures, nothing, nobody. And that's, that's the biggest adjustment <laughs> that, that you can have in your life. So you really need to love what you're doing uh, to take that. Not making a lot of money. <laughs> well, being the head of Kali Pictures in, in probably LA and Hollywood is not the same as if you go to Timbuktu in Ohio and you're like, oh, we got a movie producer. Because it sounds very glamorous and very exciting. It sounds equally as glamorous as working for BCBG. So I think yeah, that it, that's... It's, it's, a lot, it's a lot of work. It's a lot more work. It's a, it's, you know, it's a different world. You need to adjust. Uh, and it's difficult to change career to something that you don't know. Uh, but you need to be passionate. And for me, you know, it was a priority to be passionate and just not do a job that I didn't want to do anymore. Plus, you know, I was in L.A., and there's not that many great fashion company. I would be in New York. Maybe I would have gone to, you know, Dior or, you know, a big group or Hermes. But 
I, I liked that it was PCBG was a small company was was a family almost family business that um, I liked that part of it even though we were great and then uh, I didn't want to work anywhere else in fashion so it was just and this is a, an adjustment but it's fun I mean it's it's I love it. So what is the most common question you get from most people when they learn what you do? They, they don't understand what a producer do, mainly. That's, that's I think, a lot of, I, I barely understand sometimes, you know, when you tell me, because um, there's, as I was saying, there's so many different producers. And I was looking the other day at a thing, it was a segment producer, and I wasn't sure what that was. So it's, it's producers like, you know, there's executive producer, there's tons of types of producers, but what I do is A to Z. So that's the most, the biggest question I get is what does a producer do? What is it? Is there a big difference between making film or producing in the US and doing it in Europe? Have you found a, a big difference? Because I know that you're working with people who are doing films in France and you're working there too, which is beneficial since you speak these languages. So I I haven't made a film in France yet. So that's that's something. I have one on my slate that is gonna be partly most probably in France, even though we discussed shooting even the French part in the US recently, but it's with a big, very big French actor. So I haven't really had that experience, but I know people and the main difference from what I understand is the way you finance a film. And that's for me, that's, that's huge. You have a lot of help in France. You have a lot of co-production agreements between countries. And, you know, a little bit like Canada, you know, it's much easier <laughs> in the US, you have apart from tax credits, there's nothing, there's no co-production agreement with any country, zero. And uh, you need to figure out and raise, you know, the money through people and through tax credits, of course, and then pre-sales if you can. But in France, you get so much help um, from the governments, from different funds, from so that's, I think that's the big difference for a producer, at least. Where do you go from here? I mean, you've, you've now, how long have you been doing this now? So you've had how many years of BCB? It's going to be five years tomorrow. Years? It's going to be five years tomorrow. But so you're still a baby at this. I'm you're a baby. Listen, wow. if, I, if I can get the, you know, the career I had at BCBG and I can have it here in 10 years, I'm happy, right? That would be, that would be amazing. What advice would you give to, especially women, you know, because they think that women have a different way of managing the career path because we have additional expectations when you have children, you know, you, it's just as different for women. Um, but I think our ability to achieve is as great or greater than men, but it's different and sometimes more challenging. So what do you, what advice do you give to somebody going, because your story is incredible. And the most important thing when we talk to incredible people like you is share with us um, your secrets and your, your wisdom so that people know that when they have opportunities, jump, or, or maybe they shouldn't. But what, what is your advice to, to women who are saying, wow, I want to try to follow that kind of path and live the life of my dreams? So first, you need to make sure that you love it. That's the first thing because, you know, changing career. And, you know, there's one thing also is nowadays with life expectancy being, you know, longer and all this, you can have two or three careers. It's not like you have one job your whole life. 
you can aspire to different things, right? So um, one thing is I'm doing a new film and the tagline is you're never too old to dream. So that, I love that, uh, but it's, so that's what it, you need to dream and you need to really make the life that you want. Um, but you also need to make sure that you're not endangering yourself, your family. You know, I was able to do this also because I have a little bit of money saved up and I was able, you know, I own my house, things like that, that I didn't require to have immediately, you know, some money uh, right there. So that's, that's also a consideration because you can't be reckless either, right? There's a difference between jumping on something that you can afford and you can do and being reckless and engendering yourself and your family, which I would never do. So that's something that I think is very important, but you need to live your dream. And I think that's super important. So, you know, for two years, I did both. It's a lot of work, but I built, right? What I was gonna do while I was still making my living at BCBG. And I think that's something that a lot of people can do. And still I had a son and still I had a life, right? So, and I think, like you said, women are so much stronger, I feel, than men and can multitask, which men can't do. So I think that you can have your, you know, whatever job you need to maintain, you know, the, the level of comfort you need financially. And at the same time, live your dream and start taking the steps towards your dream, right? And then at one point, you'll see that your dream is achievable and then you can do the switch. Now, the best is to completely live your dream, right? The best is to know at the beginning, you know, what you want to do, what you love to do and go work in that thing. But if you don't know, sometimes you're just going to do something else and then you realize that it wasn't your dream even though it's great, but it wasn't the dream. So then you switch, but you're careful and, and you jump when you need to jump. Your advice has been incredible. My last question for you today is what type of support system do you have? I mean, where do you go? Do you have girlfriends? What do you do to help you stay grounded and to this sense of feeling connectedness in this world? What does your support system look like? That's very, it's very hard because I, I don't know if I really have one. I'm a, I'm a workaholic, really. I work all the time. And um, I have some friends, my, my really best, best friends are in France. So it's difficult with time difference and everything. I have a few friends here, but I tend to work all the time. So I can't say I really have one. I'm just, um, I need to succeed. I have to succeed. It's very, very difficult. And I need to give myself 100%, 120%, 200%. So I don't really take the time to, you know, to do that. I try, you know, once in a while, take it like I'm, I'm going on vacation for a week with a girlfriend, but I'm going to be working. I know I can't just turn off everything because I have projects going and I have things that I need to do, but I'm still taking the time to take a little bit of rest and, and do that. So I, I, my support system is I try to go, uh, to go to Mexico once every three months or something like that for a week and just like still work, but just unwind there. That's, that's good. I think it's really important to have, you know, take care of yourself. So some of the key lessons I want to go is number one, it's just as important to know what you want to do 
as you don't want to do. And you were happy to walk away from what you didn't want. I think that was really good. The other thing is you took a leap of faith several times in your life, which paid off big. I love that you went to the bar mitzvah and asked for the number, the phone number of Max Azaria. I'm not sure I would have had the courage to do it. And bravo. I think that that was really incredible. And then you took the time while you're working very hard because you knew the next move in your life you wanted to be in film. You took time to be prepared. And I think that's amazing. So my last recommendation to you, take more chill time. I know it's, and that's easy for me to say when I never do. And I know Hope doesn't do it either, but it's really (laughs) important to take time for yourself um, because it gives opportunity for more creativity. You know, you got to give space for that. So I went to a sleep spa two days ago. Have you ever heard of that? It's no, like, tell uh, me about it. It's like an hour of meditation, but in a sleep spa in, in a bed that is a very, very expensive Swedish brand that there was a bed there that was $400,000. That's crazy. I think I was sleeping on the bed that was like $50,000 for the spa and it was really interesting I never take time to do things like that but a friend of mine invited me and I was just like I need that like an hour of because I never have you know I'm never down right I'm always up working doing something and even if I'm down I'm reading a script so it was like or I'm sleeping and then I don't even know what's going on but taking the time to it was a meditation like a guided meditation I think it's called and I never do those. Things. And then with a the breathing exercise, and it was like, so it was great. I loved it. And, and that was like my self-care of the week. <laughs> it was a spend an hour. But those beds, oh my God, this brand called, I know, Halsten or something like that um, from Sweden. Oh, incredible. Amazing. That sounds like good. I mean, I think a good night's sleep is what we all need. <laughs> no. Yeah, and I sleep well. I'm, I, no, I'm lucky that I'm a good sleeper. So I sleep really well. So I regenerate. Right. I'm up Good. in the morning. I'm, so I sleep my eight hours and I regenerate. I'm not someone who lives on three or four hours of sleep. I need my sleep. And I think that I would, have, I would be dead if I didn't. Right. Yeah. So I really want to thank you for taking the time. I think your wisdom, you are a generous sharer of your life story. I think it's wonderful. I know you shared before we began this conversation, you don't like getting up on stages to speak, but I think you are beautifully articulate. I think your message is absolutely invaluable to people. And I think we all learn by learning from other people's stories and your, your journey is amazing. And I'm so glad you decided to become an American citizen and you live here and you're producing movies now. I think it's wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Cynthia. It was a, it was really a pleasure. And thank you, Hope, for organizing. This is great. My pleasure. It's, it's wonderful to be able to produce this show and have such amazing women. So when Cynthia was in DC, when I met her in the early 2000s and she founded Success in the City, she had this remarkable in-person monthly event called the CEO Chick Chat. And I think today we rebirthed that. Um, so and, and we're going to be doing more of these episodes on the Truly Amazing Women Show. And Martine, I look forward to figuring out ways that we can work with you and share your wisdom with more and more women. Thank you. Definitely. Definitely. I love, you know, I love helping, mentoring people just love, you know, a lot of people call me just for advice or because I think it's important to have sometimes the outlook of someone who's not in your issues and in your problems and in your life and to have an outside view. And um, a lot, I do that for a lot of people. And I think it's, I think it's, 
great to ask for that. I never ask for help or never ask. I, I need to, that's my other thing I need to work on. <laughs> Apart from self-care is, is, you know, ask for help and stuff like that, which I don't do a lot. I like to do everything myself. Well, I think that that's something that uh, a lot of women have <laughs> in there. I'd like to thank you a little bit. And that's what Incandescent is trying to do, connect women and get that time off and time together. So we look forward to much, much more. Thank you to all of our listeners for playing today on Facebook Live and listening to Incandescent Radio and Incandescent TV to the Truly Amazing Women Show. We are going to be back later this month with a wonderful woman named Kelly McDermott, who is super funny and super awesome, friend of ours from Washington, D.C. So Cynthia, thank you. Martine, thank you. We'll talk to you all soon. That's it for today's episode of the Truly Amazing Women Show on the Incandescent Radio Network the voice of entrepreneurs. If you're a truly amazing woman or know someone who is, don't hesitate to contact us. Simply log on to www.trulyamazingwomen.com and fill out the proposal form. We've profiled more than 250 women on the site who fit the bill of being truly amazing and we look forward to honoring more. Who will be our next truly amazing woman? Tune in next week for a new episode on www.incandescentradio.com. Here's to your incredible, indelible success.